My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is the real work of leadership. And our guest is Wendy Ryan. She is the CEO of a Cadabra, which is based in Silicon Valley. She's a strategic advisor to board members and CEOs and an angel investor. Wendy is an expert on leadership and gender issues in the workplace. And she is sought after as a mentor for rising talent, including other consultants and consulting firms. With over 25 years of combined experience in human resources, organization development, nonprofit leadership, and executive coaching, Wendy has worked with hundreds of individuals and organizations. Throughout her career, Wendy's outstanding ability to build trust and rapport with diverse audiences and her agility in assessing and engaging individuals and groups from where they are has facilitated breakthroughs and business results. As a speaker, her natural warmth and humor captivates her audience and her intellect challenges their assumptions about what is possible for us to achieve individually and collectively. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast, Wendy Ryan. Thank you. It's so great to be here with you. I have to say, even before we're chatting there, your bio reads through. You are such a lovely person. I must congratulate you about your new book, which I had the pleasure of reading, which is Learn, Lead, Lift, How to Think, Act, and Inspire Your Way to Greatness. So this is going to be the subject of our topic today. And congratulations, because it's been such a success. You've reached number one on the Amazon bestseller list in several categories, not just one, I might add. It was a number one hot new release on Kindle, and it was recognized as a 2021 finalist for the International Book Awards. How cool is that? Yes, thank you. One person that's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time is Sally Helgeson. She's been raving about the book that self-awareness is indispensable in leaders. But as Wendy Ryan notes, it's insufficient. So we can read more about what Sally Helgeson has to say. And might I add Marshall Goldsmith and uh, Jennifer Brown, they're raving about this book as am I. So... Our topic today is the real work of leadership. And before I forget, we have to do a call out to the person who introduced us was Heather. So isn't she so talented? She is. We're talking about Heather Levitt Martinez. So one of the most talented uh, graphic facilitators, visual strategists. Uh, She's just an amazing person with more talent than certainly than I or most people have combined. So thank you, Heather. 
Yeah, thanks, Heather. And, you know, would you believe she was one of the last people I was talking to before the pandemic hit in real life about working together. And it's great that we've got the opportunity to be introduced uh, by her. So the real work of leadership, we were talking before the podcast began today. What is the real work of leadership? Because we're in, you were saying, a VUCA world, that volatile, uncertain, complex an ambiguous world, especially with the pandemic, what is the real work of leadership? Yes. Well, we've certainly seen a, a real, uh, I, I think the, the latest description I've heard of it applied to leadership is the one I like the best, which is we are in a period we can call the great reassessment of mm. leadership. And the great reassessment could apply to a lot of other things as well. But for purpose of, you know, our discussion today, I think it really is appropriate to to think about that for leadership. So when we talk about the real work of leadership, it's not just what is sort of our day to day, how do how do we lead effectively? But it's also recognizing that the way we've been taught to lead in the past is not the same as what we're being called to do now and what we're going to need to be really focused on for the next 20, 40 years. So there is a real inflection point, I believe we've reached, or tipping point, uh, as we might think about it, where we need to recognize there's the leadership 1.0, and now we're on leadership 2.0. And that is a big shift. And that's what I like about your book is because you're really getting people, as I like to say, is looking at leadership through different lenses. So you're actually really highlighting a spotlight on certain areas people really need to to focus on. And then you were talking earlier about these mega trends and what we need to be reflecting on. What is it that we need to be reflecting on? Well, a lot of times we get nostalgic for the past and and there are a lot of great memories that we want to hold on to and celebrate and and absolutely be be glad that it's been part of our experience but it's also true that in 2021 and i would say for the past 20 30 years we have so much data as well as anecdotal evidence that that really tells us things are in fact different than they were in the mid 20th century, for example. So we have now uh, a enormous demographic shift. So I use the acronym DEPTH to talk about these five megatrends that I think really uh, have created a VUCA context that, that you mentioned. Demographic changes is one of them. So in every measure of demography, uh, we can point to changes in um, age, you know, how many people are of a certain age in the workforce and how many people they are supporting, right? So we have this shift of fewer workers, essentially. People are aging. Uh, we also have a huge population of very young people. So that that middle ground has really shrunk. Um, mm. So that's a huge shift and it's going to continue for the next several decades at least. Another one is extreme weather. So <laughs> I think of that as both their cumulative impacts in the form of climate change, 
But there are also these episodic events that are mm. natural disasters that are incredibly disruptive to to our lives, to our businesses, to to politics, to everything. So we we have to take the weather a lot more seriously than we used to. P stands for pandemics. I think we have to call out that unfortunately COVID is not likely to be the last pandemic in our lifetime for a lot of different reasons. And so what can we learn and harvest from what we've been experiencing to make sure that we're better prepared? That's the task for every leader. T stands for technology. Technology innovation continues to accelerate beyond our ability to adapt as humans. So we're kind of now in a playing catch-up mode with our systems and our technology can do a lot more than we can really benefit from sometimes. And so what does that mean? That's a big existential question that I think is, is, is in there. And then the H stands for health. And what I mean by that is our definition of health is really expanding to be a lot more holistic. So we used to traditionally think about health in terms of physical health. Are you, are, are you free from disease or not? And then in the 20th century, we started to really talk about mental health. And again, we had that, that very sort of pathological view. It was, it, we started to go, oh, some people are, are mentally unhealthy and diagnose them and treat them under the same kind of medical model. But I think now we're really starting to realize that there are other dimensions of health and the quality of, of human experience and life that are really important, like spiritual health and emotional health. So it's this much broader definition of, of what does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to be whole? And as leaders, we need to be paying attention to that. Because it's when we talk about safety in the workplace, for example, that used to mean literally, <clears throat> are you going to not lose a finger on the assembly line? Yeah. Now we think about safety. We talk about psychological safety. We talk about um, emotional safety. We, we, we talk about it in very different terms. And so our whole definition of health is very different. And these five things combined in depth, they create VUCA. And, and that means we have to lead differently. Could you just remind our listeners, because I'm sure somebody's going to go, oh, I, I, I want to rewind back there. Depth, what's it stand for again? So we have D for? Uh, demographics. Demographics. Environment. Mm -hmm. So you could say uh, demographic yeah. changes. Extreme weather. Yeah. P for pandemics, T is for technology, and H is for health, holistic health. Isn't that a wonderful way to, to look at, at things, those lenses there? And there really is a seismic shift in terms of the expectation of leaders today, isn't it? So, you know, we're going to talk about systems thinking and strategic thinking later on, but with the reflection piece then and the real work of leadership then, where does that lead us to, especially with this seismic shift happening? So depth that we just talked about creates VUCA, and VUCA requires something that I call I eat leadership. Mm. 
Mm. I like acronyms because they just help me remember things. And so (laughs) that's why I like to use them. Yeah. Uh, So I eat stands for four things, inclusive, equity minded, authentic, and trauma informed. So the key question for leaders now is to wake up in the morning and say, how will I eat my leadership today? And then when we go to bed at night to say, how did I eat my leadership today? So how did I show up as inclusive, equity-minded, authentic, or trauma-informed? Each one of those is, is a huge question and can be very challenging to put into practice. So it's not about being perfect at all four every single day. It's about recognizing that we have to be intentional about how we're showing up as leaders. And if we have a kind of keystone question, like the one that I just offered, it's, it's really helpful for us to use as a compass to know that we are heading in the right direction, even if the progress we're making is slower than we would like, or some days we're more successful than others. People notice when we are intentional in our leadership, and they notice when we are trying to do better. They really do, even if they don't tell us immediately. They, they pay attention and they see. And this is the whole thing about leadership then that I think leaders can sometimes avoid. So some people say, I'm going to focus on the organization, I'm going to focus on my team, or I'm going to focus on my commercial acumen or the strategic direction of the business. Why would I have to work on myself? That's right. It's, it, it actually starts with you. It starts with the individual leader becoming clear about why they want to be a leader and who they're being as a leader. Some people will say, well, you know, I actually didn't raise my hand for this job. I became a leader by default. I was a great machinist, and then suddenly I was in charge of of other machinists. You know, I was the most senior level person in terms of experience, so I got promoted. Uh, Or it's by family business, and my father was a CEO, and and now I'm the CEO. So there there are lots of ways we end up in leadership, and sometimes it may not feel like it's something we've actually chosen on purpose. We just sort of ended up there. I I would say, yes, and if that is true for you, recognize that you you have been given the opportunity to impact the world in a very unique and important way. So lean into this. Still ask these questions. Say, why do I want to be a leader? How does this serve me, however I got here? And, and who do I want to be as a leader? Who, who, who is the person that I am as leader? And I think that personal work really informs who you are as a leader. And there's a wonderful quote from your book. And I was going, oh, 
This nails it for me. What we do as leaders, not how we think, is what our parents, teachers, bosses, and mentors have encouraged and rewarded us for. I'm like magic written all of that. I've talked about a statement in one. There you go. Absolutely. It's uh we're we're all I talk about being the the sum of all of our teachers and all of the lessons and experiences that we've had. So when we talk about leadership, we can talk about it as a practice, a set of skills, a set of mindsets, behaviors. Ultimately, we can't divorce it from, from embodying as a person. Who, who are we in this role specifically? It's, a, it's more than just a set of behaviors or a set of skills. And it's a bit like the pandemic was like an earthquake. You know, the fault lines were there. Everybody knew they were there. When the pandemic shook the world like an earthquake, you know, it, 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 again, these massive divisions started happening with people in the relationships, within teams. And this is where if you ignore for too long, ignore the work, then there's going to be ramifications for your leadership style, for your teams and organizations. If you don't do the work, is that true? Yes, I think that, that as humans, we're all very good at avoiding discomfort or minimizing our discomfort as much as we can. And we need to make sure as leaders that that doesn't get in the way of us doing this kind of self-work and doing things that are hard things, that take courage, that take... Um, us stepping into uncertainty about what what is the outcome going to be of this conversation exactly or of this decision. Um, so I think it's important as to acknowledge and and to be truthful about the fact that the work that I ask people to do and I think you ask people to do in in your work as well is is not to kick back and and have a good time all the time. It's it is about cultivating some bravery. It's about cultivating some resilience. And it, it can be tough. It's, it's not always going to be fun or easy. However, the rewards are, are so tremendous for, for all of us. And I, and I think that's, that's the piece that I, I would love for more leaders to understand is that there's so much leverage in in you doing the work and you showing up as a better leader. It affects so many people. So it's you have disproportionate impact on the world, whether you realize it or not. So your willingness to sort of carry the water is is so important and it and it's so impactful for for others. That's that's the the light bulb that I that I want to turn on for people. And that's very evident in your book is every single chapter, there are key takeaways and key, key questions. And so then you know what the work is to be done. And, and this all raises our emotional intelligence or that self-awareness uh, piece. And what's really good about the book is that you it's jam-packed with all the different books. Clearly that you're so well-read. It's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> And the book, one of the books you talk about the VUCA context earlier on is the five skill set clusters 
that can support adaptive foresight. And these are the new leadership literaries by a person called Johansson. Okay. And it's looking back from the future, but acting now. Voluntary fear engagement, creating positive energy, leading shape-shifting organizations, and being there when you're not physically co-located. How current of the zeitgeist is that? Well done. Um, how, how prescient of, of Bob Johansson, because he, he has been doing work as a futurist and researcher for years, and he came out with that book that references those things pre-pandemic. So this was mm. like 2017, 2018, just in time. And I think he's written a book or two even since then. Uh, yeah. However, I really think this is a great starting point to understand his work and and lays the foundation for later. So, so if I'm a leader listening in here, I'm like, oh, I've got some work to do. Yes. Can be, and parts of that work can be difficult, can't it? So like in your book, then you also mention about post-traumatic growth. Like, I think what people don't understand is, is, is about themselves is there are traumas that happened in their life that are probably still living with them right now that's impacting the way they think, decision-making, how they handle conflict, their relationships. And this all it kind of goes unnoticed in the subconscious until we make it conscious. Can you tell me a little bit about your insights of your work uh, around that? Yes, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that trauma is at the root of a lot of personal dysfunction and a lot of interpersonal dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Whether we have recognized that or not, it, it's starting, I think, to become a little more evident in part because the, the pandemic and the, the trends that we mentioned through depth are, are broadcasting a lot of trauma. And I think some people are starting to get more curious and interested in what is this trauma stuff? And uh, could, could I have been someone who had trauma? And in most, in, in most cases, somewhere, some time in our lives, most people have had a version of trauma. The simplest definition is that it's an experience that uh, it, it exceeds your capacity to kind of process what's happening and deal with what's happening. So um, we typically think of it as there's some type of violence involved. It's a sudden event. It's a catastrophic uh, tragedy. But there can be a lot of slow-moving traumas in our lives, too. And I think all of that um, becomes cumulative for a lot of people. And then they end up in a leadership role. And they struggle when, when that trauma or those series of traumas have not been processed and not resolved. Trauma does some very specific things to us neurologically that are long-lasting. One of the things it does is it actually shrinks our window of tolerance. And so when we think about this in the context of our racial reckoning, 
globally, or we think about this in the context of diversity, equity, and inclusion work, it becomes very clear very quickly how we must integrate a trauma-informed approach in all of that work because it is they are inextricably linked and our ability to engage effectively in, in that work is actually going to be constrained if we have not dealt with trauma for ourselves or, or sort of are able to recognize it when it shows up in others. And there's other examples, we'll say outside of the cultural uh, context then, what might be other examples of slow-moving trauma? Is that like relationship with family members, parents, you know, different things that happened to me in my life, that type of stuff? What, what are the examples? Yeah, I, I think it, it can show up that way. And I mean, I, I can certainly speak to it from a from a personal lens because I am a trauma survivor. Mm. And um, in my case, there were a series of, of adverse childhood events. Mm. And that was layered on top of various forms of abuse. And then later in my life, um, a, a lot of additional traumatic events. So death of loved ones, good friends, it, a lot of difficult things. So uh, for me, and I think for a lot of um, people who have had uh, sort of successive waves of trauma, yeah. it it sometimes we we notice that oh yeah there's a particular event i can point to that you know the 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 death of my mom which was tragic and unexpected was definitely a traumatic event um but the the um existence of for example really unhealthy dynamic going on in the family can be more of that slow moving yeah. trauma i also think it's important to recognize that um uh, and acknowledge that for me, as a white, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied, neurotypical woman, um, I have been insulated because of the privilege that I hold from a mm. lot of sort of slow-moving trauma that I, I know I would have experienced were I a person of color. So it also, a lot of that slow-moving trauma is very is not visible to some of us, because we don't share that identity and it's identity-based trauma. It's multi-generational. So that's, that's another reason it's very critical, especially with diversity, equity, inclusion work that we, we understand that because it, our, our ability to recognize trauma in someone else, it, we have to be able to work with different identities and we have to have some, cultural competence in order to to approach that thank you so much for sharing those personal insights i think our, our listeners will really appreciate that as as i do and i think that's really important because that's where the personal work is as leaders isn't it it's like for sure. sometimes we don't want to lift you know we, we sweep things under the carpet and we go oh, it'll be fine yeah when we haven't done the work. So for mm. example, another thing that happens is we we would do what they call misencode. So a lot of times if if we've um, suffered from trauma, we haven't processed it, um, we haven't 
experience post-traumatic growth, which we may or may not. And I, I know you brought that up and I'd love to talk about that because that's yeah. sort of the, the silver lining in some of this. But it, when we haven't done that work, what can happen in a match or in a leadership position, it, it literally shapes the stories we tell ourselves about what is happening. So we interpret things a certain way because of that trauma. And we don't even realize we're doing that. So it's kind of, it's like it, it creates certain mindsets and filters in our, in our brains that um, literally cause us to, to change the story in ways that are not productive for us and they're not productive for the organization. So it is really, really critical. Um, it's not, it's never a trivial, a trivial thing. So, so what's in it for me? So if I do all this, if I do the, all this personal work, all right. And then you talk about this post-traumatic growth. I'm like, does that mean my trauma is going to get worse or, it's going to get better. What, what is post-traumatic growth? Post-traumatic growth is the, it's a, it's a phenomenon where, uh, so, so a lot of times our goal with trauma therapy. So let's say I recognize I've had trauma and I say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and I'm, I'm going to, I want to work with this. I want to process this. I want to resolve it so that, um, and usually we get to that point because we're struggling, because we're having post-traumatic stress disorder related symptoms or a lot of stress in our, in our interpersonal relationships. So there's some, there's something that, that, um, you know, we're having symptoms of something less than ideal. So that's what brings most people to the table to, to work on trauma and the goal in that work usually is I just want to get back to baseline. I just want to get back to the way I was before I started having these symptoms. Well, that, that is a good goal. And I think, I think that it, when that happens, that's a really good thing. Um, there, there's another possibility, which is that instead of returning to baseline the way we were, we actually come out the other side uh, with a new set of sort of skills and mindsets and capabilities. And so that's what we mean by post-traumatic growth. And the way that I talk about it in the book, and I think is really productive for leaders to think about, is it's if we look at the concept of psychological safety – and there's been a lot of discussion of, of the value of that in the workplace and the need for leaders to be instrumental in creating psychological safety for their teams. Post-traumatic growth, it, to me, the biggest, the biggest benefit is that it enables us to create and sustain psychological safety for ourselves. So if you've been a... Uh, survivor of trauma as I have, at some point in time, I, I found myself um, able to create that sense of safety for myself, independent of what anyone else was doing or saying. And with previous traumatic events, and, you know, I've been, I've been in an into therapy four different times in my life because I've had to deal with these successive waves. 
Um, I, I didn't notice that. It was like I got back to baseline. Okay, great. Went on living life, but I didn't. I didn't notice this um, ability to just build that safety for myself. And so I think that's that's the gift in post-traumatic growth. But it's really important as we talk about this that that not be the goal or the standard for everyone because we still don't understand enough about it to say we know how to make sure that everybody can get there or or that that's what's supposed to happen in every case, right? So I'm, I'm careful when I talk about this because I don't want to set it up as you're if you're a trauma survivor and you're processing trauma and you don't experience this phenomenon that you've failed. Yeah. You know, in the spirit of sharing, you know, I asked the question about post-traumatic growth. Clearly why I was interested in this because I've experienced post-traumatic growth and what I'd like to share uh, in the spirit of sharing it, there with you, Wendy, is I was wrapped in trauma before. Just layers and layers that you're talking about. And you're like, is it this? Is it this? Well, actually, it's a combination of everything, you know? Yes. Yeah, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, uh, and this is why I'm so passionate about the work. You know, this is where Yellow will come from, is, is to take a different path to success. Um, and not everybody needs to take the, the path of therapy, you just need to find your own way. That's right. To overcome whatever those challenges are. And a bit like yourself, it enables you a new skill set, different capabilities, a different mindset. And for me, the way I was, was working wasn't working. And a lot of ways I wasn't working was self-protection mechanisms. And because leadership is such a lonely and sometimes vulnerable place, Sometimes you've no option but to look inwards and to go, how am I going to navigate my way out of this difficult position I find my in? And that's the whole thing about sometimes we can overanalyze and that, you know, is perilous, you know, um, there. So overanalysis is perilous. And again, it's really trying to figure out, okay, what is the work I need to do? How do I, what's my biggest challenge here? And that's where you kind of go, okay, is it therapy I need or is it coaching that I need or is it mentoring and then, or is it a consultant, whatever, and you find your own path. Uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah. A hundred percent agree. I think uh, with my own company, Cadabra, one of the reasons we're so motivated by integrating a visual approach to what we do is because we have recognized as practitioners and as people that it, talk talking isn't isn't the the best path for everybody. You know, I I happen to be a, a really verbal person. I'm a writer. Words are are a medium that I feel very comfortable expressing myself. And so therapy, talk therapy, has been really effective for me. And coaching can be really effective that way. But so can art therapy, uh, where you're, you're drawing, you're using visual medium or dance or music. You know, sound healing is something that I just discovered recently. And I, I think it's 
amazing and fabulous. So there, there is a strong mind body connection with trauma that, and a lot of times trauma lives in the body as much as, or more than it lives in our, in our mind. And so wherever is the starting point or sort of the right, um, pathway for you, what's important is that you start and that you honor the need for healing. And if you're a leader and you recognize that someone on your team has symptoms of trauma or has experienced trauma, and I'm sure a lot of leaders are in that position now because you have people on your team who've lost loved ones to COVID. Mm. Um, Those are traumatic events. Uh, What we should be doing is checking in and saying, how are you doing? How can I support you? Or how can we make sure that you're getting the support you need without putting judgment on what that is or what that looks like? It it's, it's important that people are processing in the way that supports them best. And I think that's the real balancing act of leadership at the moment is how do we care for people so they don't leave us because they need our attention and they need our care and they need us to be supportive. And how do we get the task done? Yeah. And I think so many leaders, uh, what holds them back from checking in with people and asking these kinds of questions is that they're afraid that then they will have to fix it for them. Mm. And so what I, what I encourage leaders to think about instead is saying, it is not your job to fix them. It's not your job to become a therapist. And you should not do that, by the way, unless you have that license to do it. It just by asking those questions, one you open the door for people to show up authentically to where they are. You build safety and, and you express some caring. You express interest in them. And that is what keeps people <clears throat> engaged and invested in, in working with you. Many times when you ask those questions, it, people will say, you know, I'm fine, or I've got this, this in place. Thank you. And that's it. Um, So don't let your own discomfort or fear of what comes next hold you back from, from engaging with someone and asking, are you okay? Do you have the support you need? Or how can we support you? Thank you for that. And and that brings us back to I eat in terms of the real work of, of leadership. That's the authentic piece. And we might continue that and then we'll revisit the other ones. So what else do we need to know to be authentic? How do I know I'm showing up as an authentic leader? Like, I, I think a, a lot of people will see, well, if my manager or boss or employer or leader shows them completely vulnerable and in a mess and stuff like that is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do because (laughs) when i look at leaders i'm looking for a show of strength here i want to know everything's okay so how do we get the authentic piece right yeah it's such a great question and i i would say certainly it depends if there Mm. is an immediate tragedy uh you know 
highly disruptive event that's just happened and a leader is talking about that and shows emotion in talking about that, that is absolutely appropriate. And uh, people generally will respond well to that because it shows that you're human, Mm -hmm. that you care. And I think it's far worse for leaders to uh, pretend that nothing's happening or nothing has just happened, which a lot of times we do because we don't feel well-equipped to kind of talk about, oh my gosh, this thing just happened and it was this hurricane just happened and it wiped out the yeah. town. You, you can't show up to a meeting the next day and, and pretend like nothing happened. You can, but it's not, it's not going to serve you or your people well. So much better to show up and say, you know, I, I just feel really devastated today because mm. I'm thinking of the people that have lost their homes, their businesses, our friends, our neighbors. And I just want to acknowledge that I, I'm having a really hard time and I'm sure you are too. So let's focus today on, on what we can do and, um, you know, and, and here, here are the resources that are available to you if you need to take space, if you need time off, if, you know, all of that. So it's not that we, um, we, we don't want to confuse show of st- showing strength with stoicism. So, so we don't want to be, I will show no emotion because I need to be strong. Strength is acknowledging what's happening for us and saying, here's what I'm doing about it. So you're not showing up as a leader to your team saying, oh my gosh, my wife just told me she wants a divorce and I feel terrible about this. And then being quiet because then you're, you're basically, your team says, well, now do we have to do something about it? No, you're saying, I feel terrible about this. So here's what I'm going to do about it. And here's how you can help me or support me. That's authenticity. That's vulnerability that really serves to propel us toward that I eat leadership and toward engaging employees, keeping our great employees with us and giving them permission to not be perfect, which is so, so important. We, the more that we as leaders try to be perfect, the less people trust us and are inspired by us because no one's perfect. So, but somehow we look at leaders and we say, wow, that person has no problems. That person does everything right. They're, they're never upset. Nothing ever goes wrong for them. And my life is a mess. So I, I should just write off any notion of, of being a leader someday because my life isn't like her life. So it's it's that mismatch of expectations. And I think what's really important about leadership uh, and being authentic is context, as you said. You have to read the room. Yes. And if you're not if you don't have that situation awareness, you know, uh, and your finger isn't on the pulse, you have a big blind spot to go, you are coming across completely wrong here as the perfectionist where people go, I know what you're really like, or or whatever. So and again. I was reading your bio there and you had a great take on kindness and candor, if it's okay for you to talk about, because I think 
that's that's a nice way to introduce that. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you define that? Yeah, so I often say that kindness without candor is not really kind. And one thing that I have been really aware of, so if I think about where does that come from or that notion come from, I would say for me, it comes from the awareness that I was born in Wichita, Kansas, which is about the most Midwestern town in the Midwest you can possibly be from. I've spent a lot of time there over the years, and I value and treasure that time and that community for many reasons. And I'm also highly aware of this phenomenon that I have talked about as dysfunctional politeness, where one of the things I started to recognize as I grew up is that there was a tremendous amount of everybody being nice to each other, but it was like no one was really ever saying what they thought, and it wasn't okay to ask for what you really wanted or needed. So so that's where I saw that as being very dysfunctional. And so what we don't want, particularly in leadership, is to be so focused on being kind that we are never giving someone feedback that they need to get better at something, or we're never holding people accountable for misbehavior, or we're, <laughs> we're not... We're not doing things. So holding people accountable is an essential part of leadership. And and so all the things I talk about um, and that we've discussed so far don't absolve us from the need to hold people accountable. And in order to do that, we must be candid. We must be direct in saying, you did this thing or you said this thing, and I need to let you know what the impact of that was. And here's what I would like to see be different next time. So the kindness is that we're not tearing people down. We're not saying you are a terrible person because you did this thing or said this thing. We're saying uh, this is the situation or the behavior that is problematic. And here's how I need you to change it. What support do you need to do that? And I, I think that's so important because I think one of the biggest gripes that I've worked with in teams or with leaders then is, well, they haven't tackled that person for underperformance or that person's been manipulated or whatever. And that's the most authentic thing you can do is to demonstrate that kindness and that candor. And that's leadership is role modeling those behaviors. So we have healthy conflict. We have, you know, those difficult conversations that need to be had. And that brings us back then, and thank you so much for that. That's, I think that's authentic covered uh, in, in a little piece as, as what we have time for today. And then we go back to inclusivity is, is, is often, as you say here, what looks different from the outside, from what it feels like to the employees on the inside. And you talk about the different dimensions of inclusivity from equality, openness and belonging. Can you, can you give us a, a bit of an insight uh, on that? Well, I love McKinsey's uh, framework and research around this. They really mm. delved into um, when we talk about inclusivity at work, what do we really mean by that and how could one measure that? And mm. so I appreciate that um, 
that seeking, what are the measurables? I think that's important in leadership and in, in good organizational management in general. So we need, we need to, we need to pay attention to data and we need to look for that. Um, but the, the recognition is that it's very easy for companies to invest in diversity, equity, and inclusion work, particularly if they are well-resourced and to, to start doing a lot of activities and initiatives. So they hire a head of diversity, equity, inclusion. They start up a bunch of employee resource groups, ERGs, and all of those things are good. However, it's not just through a series of initiatives that we achieve an inclusive culture or environment. Until the employees that are actually working in that environment say that they feel included, we still have work to do. So mm-hmm. it's not, it, it's not a, um, there's, there's a, there's a bigger outcome that we need to be looking for beyond just activity measurement. And that also, I think illuminates part of the problem, which is that we have to approach that inclusivity goal with a learner mindset. We can't assume that because we're the leader and we might know a lot about a lot of things that we know how to do that. And we need to engage the people that we want to feel inclusivity to help guide us and lead that effort. And we need to pay them for that. We need to invite them in, support their leadership, and we need to make sure we're not asking them to do this for free. So I think those are the kinds of things that that differentiate companies where inclusivity is an initiative versus inclusivity is a lived, real experience for the people living there, you know, working there. And there is a massive social responsibility uh, on leaders. And I love this quote that you have from Danielle Harlan. Great leadership isn't about a single leader that knows everything. It's a collective capacity of a team. That's exactly what you're calling out here, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. So we have inclusivity. We, we talked about equity and authenticity then. So in terms of I eat and the real work of leadership then, let's go to T. So what do we need to talk about? For trauma-informed. Trauma-informed. Oh, we talked about that. Sorry. I think we did. Before. That's okay. We did. We did. We can keep going. <laughs> we can keep going. If it's okay with you, because while we're on it, okay, because this is the different lenses there. And then... This has brought us to that collective thinking of systems thinking. So when yeah. we go to systems thinking, okay, what, what is the work there around that? So there's, there's, there's the personal work that we're talking about there in terms of I eat. What's the real work of leadership there then? So what I have found valuable in systems thinking, I think number one is that People are not good at long-term thinking generally. Mm. Yeah. We just don't come into the world born with a, a long-term thinking orientation. We're yeah. very short-term, immediate gratification driven. And that's part of the, the 
survival package that we've we've all evolved with. So I don't I don't think we the goal here is to to be negative about that. We can make friends with that because it's helped us survive this long. So that's a good thing. But in in leadership in VUCA times and contexts as we've been talking about, it becomes very, very problematic if we cannot develop more of a long-term thinking orientation. Um, and so systems thinking, I think at its core is about that. And challenging ourselves to say, what's, not just what's gonna happen three months from now, but if I do this thing or I make this decision, what are the implications of that a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? So what that does is a couple things. One, it, it makes sure we don't miss something important, which we often do if we're only managing uh, on a quarter by quarter basis. <laughs> um, it also helps us increase our tolerance for discomfort. So back to what we talked about earlier, which is that we're really good at avoiding discomfort. And part of that is because we can be so short-term focused that we perceive that our discomfort is going to last a really long time. And systems thinking and long-term thinking help us to understand that, yes, in the short term, the next three months, doing this particular thing is going to be really uncomfortable. It's going to suck, as we say in America, um, big time. And I can see that the payoff is huge for us and that it's really worth it when I look out a little longer. But if I just focus on how uncomfortable it's going to be right now, I'm much less likely to do the right thing for the business, for the people in the business. So I think that's where, to me, systems thinking becomes a, a, a critical tool for leadership now. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of systems thinking. When I talk to people about systems, there's always a ripple effect. What are the implications yes. they talk about there? So you talk about organization design or organization development. And if your company has been a comfortable position where the status quo was always welcome, things are great around here, well, that means good. You've got a very robust organization internally from the outside point of view. It's very rigid. And when a shock comes, then it's like Lego. <laughs> it's going to smash straight apart, isn't it? Sorry, I like to put in the old Lego series play there. Uh, and again, it's, it's how do you create that flexible, dynamic, you know, system where all the individual parts, all the individuals there are agile. And I think those need to be that injection of chaos every once in a while to keep it nimble and flexible and agile. So I think I think that is the work, is that you, as leaders, the work is, is how do we invite discomfort, knowing there's going to be pushback, knowing there's going to be resistance, say, actually, you know what, this is a bit like exercise. We don't like to do it, but it's good for you. Yes, Absolutely. And I think to for us to stay healthy in any dimension of health, we we need to make sure that there there's always a certain amount of pressure or or 
stress or stretch goal, or there's something that is going to make sure we don't have that kind of stagnation that you're talking about in the system. And again, you can still do that with kindness, with respect. Um, I've seen leaders do this the wrong way, which is to, they, they will go into a team and, um, try to kind of pit one executive against another because they, they think that that, that method of creating competition between members of a team is, is how you put enough chaos in that system to make everybody better. And almost always over the long term, that backfires severely. It might get us some quick wins in the short term, but it, it, does not create a cohesive team. It does not create an agile team who can respond to some of these enormous challenges that we've been talking about going on in the world. And eventually people leave because they don't like being part of that. So we have to be careful about how we do that. And, and that, that is part of the task of leadership. The reason I brought it in, and it's it's to use your wonderful acronym there of depth, is how do we create a healthy organization for healthy individuals and healthy teams? And healthy leadership is all part of that. And for you, you have to exercise leadership and you have to do the work. So, Wendy, we are coming to the end of our podcast today, I have to say. This has been a wonderful conversation. And you know what's even better? I don't have to edit any of this. Brilliant. Uh, so thank you for that. So if you were to give our listeners some uh, key takeaways from today. So we have had the IE, we have depth of uh, demographics, extreme weathers, pandemic, uh, technology and health, and IE of inclusivity, uh, equity, authentic, and the T stands trauma informed. Trauma. Yeah. How could I forget? So, <laughs> so what are the key takeaways then for our listeners? Well, I, I think two things uh, that I would offer. One is that it, the book introduces the concept of the learn, lead, lift framework. Mm. So we talk about three things that work together to produce great leadership. And there are mindsets, which is how you think, skill sets, which is what you know or know how to do, and behaviors, which is how you show up to others. All three of those things are important. And again, they work synergistically so that the outcome, what people experience, is great leadership. And so, so if you are interested in getting better as a leader or you want to encourage leaders in your life to keep going and, and working on their leadership. I would say that, you know, that's an important thing to, to pay attention to is that we don't want to just think about what skills do I need to develop or what, how, what behaviors am I doing? We need to make sure that we are thoughtful about our mindsets we need to understand what that is and how do we develop it. And sometimes we can do a lot of that work ourselves. Often it does benefit us to work with a coach or work with 
a group or some or someplace where there's a there's social support for for the changes we need to make. So I would say don't try to do this all by yourself. Do do the work that you need to do to understand why you want to do this work. So again, why you want to be a leader and who do you want to be as a leader? And then enlist support for that. So make your plan and make sure you're telling someone else and, and engaging that um, because it's, it's, you're going to go much further, much faster with support. Wendy, thanks a million for that. And if, if you'd like to tell our listeners about your, your, your offerings or how to contact you, how might they do so? Sure. Uh, if you're interested in the book uh, and getting to know me better, a great starting point is to go to the Learn Lead Lift website, which is learnleadlift.com, all one word. And there you can, uh, of course, purchase the book or you can access if you want to sort of try some of these concepts on before you invest in that. You can uh, access free resources on the Cadabra website. So you go to Learn Lead Lift, click the button, and it'll take you to that section of our site. So we have a number of free downloads that uh, you can you can integrate into your toolkit. You can start trying on, um, and that's that's a great way to get started with some of the things that we've been talking about. I'm also easy to find on LinkedIn. And I'm very happy to connect with people. If you just want a thought partner, if you have a question, um, always happy to engage. This is this is a journey that we are all on together, and I think we all get better together. And so I really want to support support people reaching out and and looking for help along the way. Wendy the author of Learn, Lead, Lift, How to Think, Act, and Inspire a Way to Greatness. It has been a genuine pleasure to chat to you. I know we're, we're scheduling um, drinks the next time you come to Ireland, which has been for postponed sure. twice. And thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your, your insights as well. Thank you. Thank you, William, so much. It's been a joy. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.